What's up, guys and girls? Bobby. I, in this week's episode, I sit down and talk to you guys about PEDs. Um, just from a legal perspective, this stuff does not constitute medical advice, does not represent the views of the army, blah, 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 whatever. Uh, this is just my personal opinion on um, some of the PEDs. Uh, what I basically do Let's talk to you guys about the physiology of PEDs, of certain PEDs, kind of the uh, physiology, the effects, and along with the negative effects. My goal with this podcast is really to educate you guys and the guys give you guys kind of like a basic understanding of what these substances do and what um, to kind of be aware of when you take these substances. Oftentimes, a lot of times, we kind of focus on the benefits without looking at the negative effects. Uh, so I kind of spend more time on negative effects and positive effects because uh, I want you all to understand really uh, if you want if you choose to go down this route of PEDs of really understanding why you're taking them and kind of the negative effects that can happen uh, when you take them uh, like I'm not naive um, everybody wants to do better in sport wants to increase their physical performance um, so I have no doubt in my mind that some of you guys want to take PEDs or interested in PEDs are already on PEDs. So I'm not not even the fact that I'm not trying to talk you guys out of it. I just want to really take time to educate and kind of give some of the facts about what you are taking or interested in taking because a lot of times on like online forums or in anecdotal conversations, nobody really talks about the negative effects or really the bad things that could happen we take a lot of these substances and drugs uh so that's kind of like my goal with this is just to provide some educational and uh kind of wave top and basic understandings of these uh of drugs and substances uh just a couple plugs uh for cronus uh, we are sponsored by paragon recovery uh use cronus the code cronus 15 for 15 percent off your codes uh your purchases and then if you're military or first responder, uh, contact, contact them directly for an additional discount on top of the Cronus 15 discount. Um, I talked, we had talked extensively about the benefits of their supplements, but uh, something that they're a company that we stand behind and something that we believe in. Uh, so definitely hit them up uh, for your recovery supplements and helping you get to sleep. Uh, the next thing I want to kind of pitch is our scholarship. Uh, hit us up on the website to check out the kind of the requirements for the scholarship. Uh, like at this point, we've had a couple, uh, by couple, I mean literally two applicants to the scholarship. Uh, it's not a lot of work, I'll be honest, in um, applying for it. It's pretty much basic stuff. Uh, we are literally giving away money. Um, like I, can't, I don't know how else I can put it. Like if you are in school or about to start school and even if you don't need the money, it's still going to be cash into your bank account or wherever you want to get it from. We've got uh, from all the we've done, we've uh, had a lot of good money coming in this past year. So we want to take some of this ca- the money that we've gotten from uh, our sales and give back to those who are moving on with their life from the military. Uh, so if you are starting school, if you are uh, even if you don't need the money, uh, this is an actual little bit to kind of help in that journey uh, to school and starting school. Uh, and I don't know who doesn't like free money. Uh, take like the half an hour, an hour to write, sit down and like kind of go through the application process and then apply for the scholarship. Uh, like literally there are no like hidden loops. We're not trying to steal your identity. We just want to give back and help support people that are starting school. So just uh, go to our website uh, and then click on the Cronus Scholars page. Uh, I think it's cronusfit.org backslash cronus-scholars. Uh, there's a top uh, announcement bar that you can click on uh, and it kind of gives some of the details of how to apply for it. Uh, applications are due by September 1st. Uh, so you have, I guess, two days <laughs> to apply. Uh, so we probably could have done a bad job of advertising it. Uh, but honestly, we're probably going to extend the, I got to talk with Sean, we'll probably end up extending the application cycle uh, to at least September, the end of September, just to get some more applicants in, just to uh, increase the amount of, um, increase the amount of people that we can help out. Uh, so apply, check it out if you're starting school or in school right now. 
apply for the Cronin Scholars uh, Scholarship Program. And then the last thing is uh, drop us a five-star review or write us out a review. Uh, this only helps us in the podcast get our info out there to more people, uh, share with other people that, uh, you know, send it, uh, post on Instagram. We'll share whatever you guys post, tag us in it. Uh, we'd love to see uh, you guys uh, getting after it. We'd love to see you guys supporting us, and uh, we'd love to support you guys back. So uh, leave us a, a review, leave us comments, let us know ways that we can get better, things that we can do better, do worse, what we're doing bad, uh, and what you'd like and dislike, just so that we can help improve uh, the experience for you guys and then create a better product overall to kind of uh, help everybody else out, to help everybody out. Uh, so without further ado, let's get into this podcast about performance enhancing drugs. What's up guys and girls, it's Bobby coming to you from Jersey. Take a minute today to talk to you guys about performance enhancing drugs slash substances. Uh, we get asked actually quite a bit about SARMs and other performance enhancing drugs and like, should we start taking stuff? Is it right to take stuff? What kind of stuff should we take? Uh, so I want to take this opportunity to kind of uh, give you guys some good basic information, some basic physiology and, um, and talk to you guys about some of the performance enhancing drugs, different classes of performance enhancing drugs, kind of what the intent and what they do, and then some of the adverse effects from uh, performance-enhancing drugs. Uh, it's a pretty broad topic. Um, I spent a couple hours reading some different papers, uh, some different review articles looking at some of the um, physiology and the adverse effects uh, from a lot of substances. So I want to take uh, to kind of give you guys an educational opportunity uh, and really shine some light into what is going on uh, because I know like most people don't really have the physiology, anatomy, endocrinology background that I got uh, in med school. And then just from reading and then just working in the field, I've learned a little bit about uh, some of the physiology and the stuff behind uh, why these drugs work and what they do. So uh, I just want to take some time and just really uh, give you guys the basics that uh, will uh, shine some light, hopefully, into why or why not to take some of the substances um, and the purported benefits of them. Uh, so first, uh, I just give a little history about performance enhancing drugs slash uh, substances. So from now on, I'm just going to call performance enhancing drugs as PEDs or PEDs, uh, just for future reference, um, just to keep the terminology uh, say, uh, congruent for the rest of the podcast. So PEDs are pretty much uh, any substance, synthetic or um, uh, autogalous, so it's uh, endemic to yourself or something that your body creates. Uh, and it's taking these substances or drugs with the intention of altering your sports performance or increasing performance. And PEDs have been around, and many substances have been around uh, competitive sports since it's pretty much in its inception. We know in the Greek Olympics, uh, Olympic athletes, talking like 400 BC era, were taking like uh, mushrooms, other like herbs to try and get an edge on their competitors. And then gladiators, something similar where they smoked stuff, took like fungus and herbs to kind of help uh, with their athletic performance. But PEDs didn't, didn't really become... Um, significant in the sports world until about 1998. Uh, this was during the Tour de France in 1998, where officials raided a uh, team, raided a uh, team, uh, and found a lot of substances. And as a result, WADA was created in 1999, or the World Anti-Doping Agency. So WADA is primarily uh, responsible for controlling, testing, and preventing uh, the use of performance-enhancing drugs in sport uh, in the world. So in order to define a substance as a PED, they say that it has to qualify for two out of three, um, two out of three qualifications. 
so they are one it enhances sport performance two it poses a risk to health or three violates the spirit of the sport uh, so as a result um, it has to qualify for meet these two or three of these uh, statements in order to be qualified as a PED so WADA I think has a ton of banned substances on their list um, there's over like 50 no like hundreds of substances that they, that they don't prove ranging from anabolic agents peptide hormones growth factors related substances beta 2 agonist hormone and uh, metabolic modulators and then diuretics and masking agents um, so there's a lot of substances that they are consistently like every year they publish um new testing criteria and new substances that come to market that they're finding out now uh, so it's really kind of interesting it's like the uh, the arms race almost of the performance enhancing drug arms race where it's the the competition between like scientists and that are designing these drugs and implementing these drugs in athletes and then the um, other side would be the WADA or the testing officials trying to catch up to these new drugs and find out how they can test them and without digging too much into the science behind testing, but a lot of this testing comes from uh, like urine or blood, and they look inside urine or blood for these micro or microgram uh, substances. Uh, so like very tiny amounts of uh, substances that they use like mass spectrometry, uh, gas, mass spec, and all these other uh, liquid chromatography to figure out uh, what these substances are and to see if they are in the urine or blood samples in order to prove that this. Uh, athlete has been doping or using drugs uh, so that's a quick little history and some intro into the peds uh, so we're moving to some of the substances uh, that are defined as peds so i kind of talked a little bit about it with the wada classification and how they uh, break down agents that are uh, prohibited at all times from anabolic agents growth peptides uh, beta 2 agonists hormone modulators and diuretics and masking agents so I kind of stick to kind of that rough outline. So the first thing that I'm going to talk about and probably the most common are going to be our anabolic androgenic steroids or uh, AASs. Uh, pretty much I'm just going to call them steroids just to keep them uh, standard, to standardize it. So steroids are defined as like testosterone or any associated derivatives um, that are various amounts uh, or various names things like methyl testosterone test ethanopidate denazole androgestanione blah 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 they're like 20 30 plus different testosterone uh, derivatives uh, that are either um, chemically modulated the, of testosterone so they still act on the androgen receptor or they are like prohormones that are then metabolized inside the body to become testosterone uh, so pretty much any uh, steroid is a testosterone analog with intent of um, being able to activate the androgen receptor. So a little bit about the physiology behind steroids. So steroids are uh, are part of the HPG axis or hypothalamus pituitary gonadal axis. Um, so if you, uh, I guess it's kind of hard to explain it. You kind of have to see the picture. But basically, from the hypothalamus, this is a part of your brain, uh, and it's responsible for kind of maintaining homeostasis inside our bodies. So from the hypothalamus, the hypothalamus releases a hormone called GnRH, or growth, or gonadotropin-releasing hormone. And GnRH then goes to the anterior pituitary, and then from the anterior pituitary, um, it's a small uh, other hormone-releasing organ inside your brain. Uh, from the anterior pituitary from GnRH, we release LH and FSH, or luteinizing hormone and follicle follicular stimulating hormone. And these two hormones, LH and FSH, then act on the testes to increase testosterone production and release. Uh, and then testosterone itself has a negative feedback loop both at the anterior pituitary and hypothalamus, uh, which is kind of significant. Um, when I get back into the adverse effects and kind of what happens when you increase your, uh, when you take exogenous testosterone and, and go to a super, super uh, physiologic dose of testosterone. So what testosterone does is it binds to androgen receptors. These are receptors uh, that are found inside our cytoplasm. 
So because testosterone is a steroid-based hormone, uh, steroid-based hormones are able to freely diffuse across the cell membrane and go into the cytoplasm. It's kind of different from other hormones uh, that are peptide-based hormones because peptides cannot freely diffuse across the cell membrane. Uh, so as a result, because it's steroid, it's a fat-based hormone, uh, it's able to diffuse across the cell membrane and then interacts with the androgen receptor that is floating around in the cytoplasm of your cells. And then once it bonds to the androgen receptor, this then compound, this complex, uh, then will migrate to the cell nucleus where all the DNA is stored inside the cell. It'll bind to a gene or a transcription factor, and then it increases the production of mRNA or transcription of DNA, uh, which then the mRNA then goes into the cytoplasm and then it goes to the ribosomes, which is then synthesized into pro or translated into proteins. Uh, so long story short, what an androgen does is it binds to the receptor and then increases the production of certain proteins that are related to uh, that uh, protein receptor. So as a result, uh, it has a very wide range of effects that are both androgenic and anabolic. So androgenic um, is uh, related to development and kind of the male development. Uh, whereas anabolic is created is related to creating new proteins and getting uh, bigger, stronger. Um, another thing to note is that testosterone is also broken down in cells uh, to DHT or dihydrotestosterone uh, by an enzyme called 5-alpha reductase. And DHT is actually responsible for a lot of the androgenic effects of testosterone. Uh, I think it's like four or five times more potent than testosterone itself in terms of androgenic effects. Uh, so as a result, with androgenic uh, with androgenic effects, uh, this means things like uh, differentiating male sex organs, uh, closing epiphys epiphyseal growth plates, uh, increasing um, oily gland production in your skin, and then acne, deepens your voice, it causes male pattern baldness, causes gynecomastia, um, and other kind of things that are associated with male puberty. Um, so that's why when females take testosterone, they get uh, androgenizing or virilizing effects, such as the deepening the voice, they get like kind of a jaw change, and kind of the, um, like oily skin and acne. Um, and then that's also why they get uh, the enlarged clitoris, because um, the DHT uh, try increase in testosterone and DHT will cause the clitoris to differentiate into a penis. Uh, a little thing about embryology, the penis and the clitoris are analogous, are analogous structures in embryology, in embryology and development. Uh, so that's why guys have penises and girls have clitorises and how you can kind of, they can become interchangeable almost uh, depending on the hormones and the development. A little fun fact, kind of not related to the subject, but um, anyways, so that's kind of the effects of uh, testosterone. Uh, it causes the virilization or androgenic puberty, kind of like the puberty effects of uh, that males go through. And then it also increases protein synthesis, uh, muscle development, uh, bones, uh, increasing the bone density, bone mineralization density, and then also increasing uh, basal the basal metabolic rate. So the kind of, this is why we use this is why people use testosterone specifically. It's just like one get bigger and get stronger due to the increase in muscle mass and lean body mass. However, a lot of the adverse effects related to testosterone also come from uh, the androgenic effects. So one of the big things that guys get is testicular atrophy. Uh, this is because of the HPG axis that I mentioned about earlier. And the testosterone causes a negative feedback loop. Uh, back to the uh, hypothalamus and to the pituitary. So as a result, if you're increasing testosterone beyond your normal uh, physiological levels or super physiological levels, it downregulates the entire HPG axis. So your hypothalamus isn't releasing GnRH and your pituitary isn't releasing LH and FSH. And as a result, if you're not releasing LH and FSH, your testes aren't being stimulated. And as a result, your testes will atrophy. Uh, this is why guys will get uh, small balls when they take testosterone. Okay. Uh, that's why 
uh, like I kind of mentioned, with the, you get acne, uh, gynecomastia due to the uh, DHT that gets converted from testosterone and also from testosterone itself. Uh, but the kind of the big things that um, testosterone does is it causes a lot of cardiovascular disease, including atherosclerosis or um, plaque buildup in your blood vessels and heart disease. Uh, in some of the literature, they said that mortality is six to twenty percent greater uh, in people that use chronic or that use chronic anabolic agents, with one third of the mortality related to cardiovascular. Specifically, steroids cause uh, cardiomyopathy, uh, so it damages it causes pathology or damage to the heart muscle itself. Uh, basically, because testosterone is an anabolic agent, it increases the muscle mass. And a heart is one of the, like, the uh, most hardworking muscles in our body in terms of that your, be- your heart beats, I don't know, like 60 times a minute, times well, how many minutes a day, times how many, minutes, how many, whatever. So your heart beats a lot. It's one of the most used muscles in our body. As a result, testosterone also causes heart enlargement. So it causes something similar to what we call hypertrophic cardiomyopathy. Basically, your heart gets bigger. And as a result, uh, your left ventral gets thicker. And it causes fibrosis inside the heart, so it actually reduces the ability for your heart to contract. Uh, as a result, it causes ventricular dysfunction, so your heart isn't able to pump as much as well. And then when you increase the mass in your heart, it decreases the efficiency of its ability to conduct electrical signals. And then if you know anything about the heart and kind of the um, electrophysiology of the heart, when you increase the mass, it decreases how its ability to conduct electricity. As a result, it can incre- it'll increase the chance of developing arrhythmia, where the electrical signal isn't conducted properly through the heart, and you get things like uh, atrial fibrillation or ventricular um, fibrillation, kind of like lethal arrhythmias that can kill you. People that's how people get heart attacks. Uh, it also causes atherosclerosis, uh, so this is like building, uh, like when you have high cholesterol. It'll build up in your plaques, causing um, like sh- um, reduced uh, uh, reduced uh, patency of your arteries, kind of like how people with high lip, um, high cholesterol get like these plaques building up inside their vessels and cause heart attacks and strokes, kind of similar to that. Uh, this is because testosterone reduces HDL, uh, which is a high density lipoprotein, and HDL is kind of the happy cholesterol. That uh, what it does is it um, it shuttles cholesterol peripherally, so bat- it shuttles cholesterol or fat from the uh, system from our systemic circulation to our liver to be used in metabolism. But uh, as a result, HDL is good because it reduces the bad cholesterol. Both testosterone it decreases the HDL, decreases the good testo- uh, decreases the good cholesterol, and it increases your LDL, which is the bad testosterone, which is your low dense lipoprotein. And the LDL is what builds up on our artery, uh, on our vessels and our artery walls, and this what causes plaques. So when you take testosterone, you're increasing not only the chance of heart attacks and heart issues from a muscular perspective, you're also increasing the risk of heart arrhythmias due to the increase in size. And then on top of that, because you're increasing the size of the heart, you're increasing the oxygen demand of the heart. And then when you uh, compound that, with the increase of atherosclerosis, you're actually decreasing the blood flow to the heart because you're increasing the cholesterol that you have floating around in your blood vessels. So kind of when you add all those up, it makes it very, it makes it like a perfect storm of, of, uh, of having a heart attack. Uh, so that's why a lot of bodybuilders um, uh, are pretty common for essentially dropping dead from massive heart attacks uh, due to chronic steroid use because a lot of these guys uh, end up having an enlarged heart uh, with atherosclerosis, and then this causes heart attacks. Um, in addition to, but something that's less studied, um, uh, it causes psychiatric issues, and it's postulated that testosterone actually causes uh, neurotoxicity in our brain because it reduces the kind of the clearing of neurons because uh, of the anabolic effects. Basically, our brain will create these neurons. And then over time, a brain is supposed to trim these neurons and get rid of the bad ones that aren't working as well anymore. But with testosterone, it's uh, hypothesized that uh, these neurons or the defective neurons aren't taken away. And then this causes neurotoxicity, which causes um, psychiatric illness issues. 
such as mood disorders like depression, anxiety, uh, substance abuse, dependency syndromes, uh, some types of aggression maybe. Uh, so there's less studied into the psych issues that come from testosterone, but there is definitely an association between mood disorders, substance abuse with, um, with testosterone use. Finally, it causes liver dysfunction by elevating liver enzymes and then linked to multiple sources of cancer. Uh, so that's pretty much what testosterone, kind of the down and dirty of testosterone and anabolic agents is that they, it is, um, it increases your muscle mass and muscle size. But, um, as we say in medicine, nothing is free. And then if you want something done with medicine, there's always a, uh, a negative effect or a, uh, quid pro quo effect where you're trading a benefit for a negative um, so you get the benefit of increasing size and strength, but you get all these negative adverse effects that come with it um, that are sometimes minor in terms of like acne or gynecomastia, artistic or atrophy can consider that be like minor adverse effects that you can kind of live with. But it's potentially long-term, uh, more te- long-term mortal adverse effects that will kill you, especially with that enlarged heart, arrhythmias, atherosclerosis, uh, cancer, liver dysfunction, and then even psych issues. Uh, so just something to be aware of if you are interested in taking testosterone or starting on testosterone, you really need to be aware of some of these adverse effects. And all these adverse effects isn't they aren't related to like uh, like a low dose testosterone, like TRT probably doesn't cause um, a lot of these issues. It's when you go in the supra physiological doses when you're taking like. Uh, I don't know, like the actual doses, but I'm like 500 milligrams of testosterone a week or something like that, or something like insane amount of testosterone because you want to get huge and jacked. Uh, that's probably when you run into the biggest issues. Um, it's probably like a very dose dependent uh, curve, where if you increase the dose, then you'll get the more effects of um, and adverse effects that, associate, that are associated with uh, testosterone. So that's kind of the role of testosterone and the adverse effects that comes with that. Uh, I'll move on to some of the other hormone modulators that can uh, increase the uh, level of testosterone that we have inside of our body. The first thing um, is an, an aromatase inhibitor. Uh, and basically, uh, these are medicines that are that are often prescribed to people. And what they do uh, is they inhibit something, uh, a enzyme called aromatase. And what aromatase does is it uh, converts testosterone and androstenedione, which is a testosterone precursor. It converts these two hormones into estrogen. So these are drugs that actually uh, are pretty commonly used uh, in um, breast cancer patients uh, that are breast cancer patients um, because breast cancer is often responsive to estrogen hormone. So pretty much what... uh, the doctors try to do is minimize estrogen inside the body in order to prevent breast cancer from spreading and developing. So these are drugs like anastrozole or eczemastain, uh, pretty commonly used for uh, breast cancer, but people can take them for uh, performance enhancing because um, because aromatase is found in uh, lipids or lipid or fat tissue in our body. Uh, this is why people who are fat uh, are often have increased levels of estrogen because uh, aromatase kind of lives inside fat tissue. So the more fat you have, the more the more your testosterone is converted to estrogen, um, which can also which also explains why people who are obese have an increased rate of endometrial cancer and breast cancer because they have more estrogen floating around inside their bodies, which then can cause cancer. But that's a whole different discussion that I don't want to get into. But basically, with aromatase inhibitors. What you're doing is preventing the breakdown of uh, testosterone into estrogen and then thus increasing the amount of testosterone you have in your body. Uh, The side effects are going to be pretty similar in terms of uh, normal testosterone. You're just increasing the testosterone you have inside your body. But because it's all endogenous, uh, the drug will increase your testosterone level. But then this causes a kind of down regulation back up to the chain. So you're over time, your body kind of equilibrates. Um, and the testosterone comes back to like a normal level. So it probably, uh, I don't, I didn't dig too much into how, uh, the like dosing or protocols for aromatase inhibitors, 
but I imagine it's probably per, a pretty short-term uh, cycle, a pretty short-term period where you're transiently increasing testosterone before your body realizes that your testosterone is too high and then cuts down the production. Uh, the next one is a GnRH agonist. So these are um, gonadotropin-releasing hormone agonists that will pretty much uh, convince your pituitary to release LH and FSH. Uh, so pretty much you're, what you're doing is you're telling your pituitary to increase the LH and FSH to increase uh, the testosterone production at your testes. So these are drugs such as clomiphene, clomiphene, uh, riloxifen, tamoxifen. Uh, these are actually uh, what's were actually called um, SERMs or selective estrogen receptor modulators, uh, basically because your your pituitary also has uh, estrogen receptors that do pretty much a similar thing as testosterone receptors, where it downregulates the uh, release of G uh, GnRH and LH and FSH into your systemic circulation. So basically what you're doing is you're telling your pituitary to increase the production of LH and FSH. And uh, if you're doing it in a pulsatile fashion, so if you're doing it in the short term, it actually will increase your testosterone uh, by increasing the LH and FSH released by a pituitary. However, if you use it chronically, GnRH agonists will eventually lead to the suppression of LH and FSH, leading to the suppression of testosterone. So this is like the body's, like I said, like the body's pretty smart in that it, over time it will equilibrate over time and come to realize that um, there are a lot of, that there's too much testosterone and it'll turn down its own production of testosterone. Um, there's a lot of feedback. That's why body, uh, the endocrine system is very interesting because everything has a positive and feedback, a positive and negative feedback loop that prevents uh, the body from getting out of whack and out of homeostasis or where it likes to live. Uh, well, GnRH agonists, these are actually really commonly used uh, with females and in infertility. Uh, Clomiphene is super common uh, as a as a fertility treatment to increase uh, uh, ovulation, but guys can use it to increase the um, to increase the production of testosterone. I think with uh, clomiphene and GnRH agonists, a lot of side effects come from the increase in testosterone, uh, increase in estrogen as well. Uh, basically, got, uh, from what I understand, I didn't, again, I didn't dig too much into GnRH agonists, uh, but you get a lot of mood swings, and a lot of uh, irritability with GnRH agonists and just like a lot of feeling unwell, basically. So those are the kind of the big three when it comes to testosterone and anabolic agents and steroids. Uh, you can increase your testosterone. So that's pretty much um, the big takeaway is that there are multiple ways that you can influence the level of testosterone in your body, whether that's exogenous or supplementing with um, testosterone uh, to reach super physiological levels, whether that's uh, blocking the uh, conversion from testosterone to estrogen, or just increasing your own natural production of testosterone by using uh, the GnRH agonists like uh, clomiphene. All right, moving on, uh, I'll talk a little bit about HGH or home human growth hormone. Um, so HGH is a peptide hormone, which is different from our steroid hormones. So as a result, peptide hormones don't diffuse across the cell membrane uh, into the cytoplasm to receptors. As a result, they stay kind of in circulation until they hit um, the uh, intended cell, uh, cell's receptor on the surface of the cell membrane. So uh, what growth hormone is, uh, it is a hormone that kind of increases the um, increases lean body mass and protein synthesis. So it is considered an anabolic agent and that it increases uh, growth of organs. Uh, so um, it, growth hormone is released uh, from the pituitary. It is increased by GHRH from the hypothalamus. It's a growth hormone releasing hormone from the hypothalamus. Uh, releases GHRH to the pituitary to increase the production of growth hormone. Um, there are a lot of different other uh, uh, feedback loops that are also influence the production of uh, G uh, growth hormone, such as uh, ghrelin, which is a hormone secreted by our fat tissues. 
basically it's responsible for making you hungry. Uh, so when you have, uh, if you're too, if you have obesity, if you're obese and too much fat tissue, you have too much ghrelin, uh, or you don't have enough ghrelin. It blocks the ghrelin production, so then you aren't going to um, release as much growth hormone. Um, after growth hormone is released from the pituitary, it then goes into systemic circulation and has effects at the heart, effects on colon, bone, fat tissue, the pancreas, the muscle, kidney, and the liver. And at the liver, uh, it produces IGF-1, which is insulin-like growth factor 1, uh, which has uh, which probably has more anabolic effects than growth hormone itself. Uh, but that's a whole different discussion that I don't really want to necessarily get into. So with growth hormone, um, pretty much it is produced prim primarily at night. Uh, when you're sleeping, it has about 85% of your day of production is at night. So I mentioned in my sleep podcast how important sleep is in growth hormone production and getting good amount, a good enough night's sleep or to ensure that you're getting enough growth hormone production. It's increased, uh, so uh, growth hormone production is increased with exercise, but decreases with, decreases with age and uh, ob obesity. Uh, this paper actually says that if you increase in one in your BMI, you have a 6% drop in growth hormone. So if you go from like a 29 BMI to 30 BMI, you have a 6% drop in growth hormone, which is kind of, it's pretty significant. It's also suppressed by glucose uh, loading. So if you're eating a lot of sugar, it decreases your growth hormone uh, secretion and production. Uh, but it's increased by insulin-induced hypoglycemia. Uh, so then that means after you eat and then you have production of insulin, um, basically uh, after eating, uh, you get an increase in growth hormone release. Kind of makes sense because you want to, um, when you have energy or when you have food and subst energy substrates, you want to use them to, uh, for your body's anabolic, uh, to use it for anabolic to create new proteins. Um, so as a result, you will increase your growth hormone production after you eat in order to increase uh, to take advantage of that situation. Um, so growth hormone directs amino acids towards muscle synthesis, muscle protein synthesis. It induces lipolysis. What that means is it breaks down fat. Of uh, fat tissues to release free fatty acids uh, for energy and protein synthesis, and then also lowers cholesterol and increases uh, HDL, so good uh, good cholesterol. Um, it increases osteoblast different uh, increases osteoblasts, uh, so osteoblasts are responsible for creating bone. Uh, so it then it causes proliferation of bone formation and increased bone density and decreases the bone breakdown. Uh, ultimately, it leads to a decrease in your fat mass and increase in lean body mass. Um, as far as effects from a physical uh, performance standpoint, the studies are kind of equivocal in that it doesn't really sh they don't really show any increase in muscle strength, power, or endurance. However, they do show the increase in lean body mass and decrease in fat mass. Uh, so you can kind of debate whether what the, lean, the increase in lean body mass means. Does it mean that your bones are thicker or your muscles are thicker. Um, so I didn't see any differentiation between the two. But if you imagine if your muscles are bigger, you would have an increase in muscle strength, size, or power. But uh, in the studies, they didn't find any increase in muscle strength, size, or power. Um, as far as side effects or negative effects, um, it causes fluid retention, uh, which can cause um, uh, arthritis, pains, carpal tunnel syndrome, uh, headaches, hypertension, uh, insulin resistance, cardiovascular disease, and, and high cholesterol. So as far as um, side effect profile, growth hormone actually probably is probably the least uh, least uh, negatively tolerated. So it's probably it's tolerated pretty well amongst the um, amongst the uh, performance enhancing drugs. Uh, you can have um, you can develop acromegaly if you have long term or like chronic growth hormone increase. Uh, so acromegaly um, is basically when you have like increased uh, your increase in head size and hand size uh, and jaw size because of the bone um, bone growth. Uh, in children, if you have increased in growth hormone, you get gigantism. Uh, where you get that's pretty much what causes like giants or like the huge people. They see in like Ripids, believe it or not. 
these people that get uh, too much growth hormone uh, from my, like, like a, a pituitary tumor uh, can cause uh, gigantism or um, acromegaly in adults after your growth plates are closed. Uh, it's pretty well tolerated, uh, but the only issue that I know that comes with HGH is that it's very expensive because it is a recomp. Uh, what, how you get it and how you use it is that it is a recombinant uh, hormone. It's pretty much it is produced outside the body, and then people inject it into their body in order to increase in order to simulate the growth hormone that your body normally creates. Uh, so it's a very expensive drug, and it doesn't really have as much purported health benefits as something like testosterone. Uh, so that's the kind of the biggest thing for taking HGH is that it's expensive and that uh, you don't really necessarily get a lot of performance benefits from it. Uh, maybe some better healing and bone health, but um, as far as sports performance, not as much as you would with testosterone. The next drug I'm going to talk about is EPO or erythropoietin. Uh, EPO is pretty common. It's actually, I think, came into... Um, Everyone knows EPO from kind of the Tour de France. Uh, basically, a lot of the, like during Lance Armstrong's times, pretty much everybody was using EPO. And what EPO it is, it is a hormone that is secreted by your kidneys uh, in hypoxic states. Uh, if you have low oxygen states, your blood, uh, what it does is it increases the red blood cell production and red blood cell mass inside your um, blood vessels. Uh, so in, when your body, uh, just a little bit about the physiology, so when your body has low uh, oxygen or hypoxic state, your kidney is able to sense this, and your kidney senses the hypoxic state and then increases the production of EPO. So once EPO is released by the kidneys, it goes to your bone marrow. Inside your bone marrow, it increases the production of red blood cells by stimulating the red blood cell precursors. Um, and then kind of stimulates and shortens the time from development of the red blood cells. So they exit from the marrow quicker, produce more, uh, they're more precursors, and then it's produced and released from the marrow quicker. So you get increase of red blood cells by increasing or by decreasing the production time and decreasing the kind of the incubation time in your bone marrow. As a result, when you increase the number of red blood cells and circulation, you're increasing the oxygen carrying capacity of your blood. Basically, the more oxygen that your blood can carry. What that does is an anaerobic respiration or aerobic metabolism. It's pretty much like low intensity uh, endurance events. Uh, oxygen is used as a uh, electron acceptor during uh, aerobic metabolism. So that's why you breathe in oxygen and breathe out carbon dioxide because your body is using the oxygen to accept these electrons uh, when your body goes through uh, uh, the Krebs cycle and oxidation uh, to produce energy. Uh, so by as a result, if you're able to increase the amount of oxygen that's being delivered to the tissue, you're able to increase the amount of energy that the tissue can develop, or that the tissue can, can create in the mitochondria. Uh, so that's why EPO is very desirable because basically it increases your ability to exercise or endurance, increases your endurance without changing any of the actual uh, like cell structure or cell metabolism uh, just by increasing the oxygen delivery capacity. Uh, so as a result, it increases the VO2 max of athletes uh, by increasing the hematocrit, so the concentration of red blood cells in your blood and the red blood cells themselves. And that's how it's related to kind of the adverse effects that are associated with um, EPO or increasing uh, red blood cell production. And this includes blood doping too. It's another common practice that they did on Tour de France. It was that they would take, uh, would pretty much um, take out blood from the athlete and then re-inject the blood during the competition. By, so therefore, without uh, you just increase the, uh, increasing the red blood cell mass by just uh, putting red blood cells back into the body after your body produce uh, increase the production of itself. So with uh, with that, uh, as a result, um, you get the blood becomes very viscous. So imagine uh, your blood uh, becomes like a soup. Um, it comes from like uh, like chicken noodle soup or like the chicken like it's like chicken broth, and then it goes into some like tomato soup where it's like very thick or like tomato bisque where it's like very thickened. Uh, because you have more red blood cells inside uh, your um, your blood, 
So as a result, you have, uh, it's like very thick blood, and which can cause hypertension or high blood pressure, causes headaches, uh, but most importantly, it can cause strokes and heart attacks by uh, causing clots inside circulation or thromboembolic events. So that's pretty common. Uh, it's commonly associated with a lot of the uh, endurance athletes dying suddenly uh, because of their blood is so thick that it will clot uh, on its own or clot when it's not supposed to, whether it's in your brain, inside your heart, and it causes heart attacks or strokes. Um, EPO overall, uh, I think it's pretty well tolerated, minus the fact you get these uh, pretty um, mortal events in terms of these strokes and heart attacks. Um, but what you're doing is just increasing the, um, ec- uh, the red blood cell mass inside your body uh, to um, pretty much uh, increase the oxygen delivery curve. Uh, there are other uh, um, substances that can uh, modulate this to increase your oxygen delivery capacity. Um, so there are like substances like cobalt, I want to say, that can de- make your body think it's hypoxic to increase your own production of EPO. There are other things that uh, can affect hemoglobin itself. So hemoglobin is the molecule inside your blood cells that holds the oxygen. And you can change the uh, oxygen dissociation curve uh, basically, um, by making the oxygen dissociate from, uh, by making oxygen, uh, come off the hemoglobin easier. Uh, basically it will increase the, the oxygen delivery capacity by, uh, shifting that curve, either shifting that curve to the right, uh, so that, um, it decreases hemoglobin's affinity for oxygen. It makes it easier for, for oxygen to come off of, uh, for oxygen to come off the hemoglobin and deliver it into cells. Uh, there are a lot of substances that can do that, but I don't really want to dig into that too much as we talk about EPO. Uh, the next substance I want to talk about are beta-2 agonists, commonly known as clenbuterol, uh, albuterol, salmenterol, formenterol. Uh, these are commonly used uh, in um, asthma, and what beta-2 uh, agonists do is that they uh, cause vasodilation as well as um, bronchodilation. So basically, it opens up your bronchioles inside your lungs, so it makes you breathe easier. So we use this in medicine a lot for people with asthma or people with asthma attacks to prevent the uh, bronchioles from constricting and causing an asthma attack. Uh, clenbuterol, uh, however, uh, clenbuterol is kind of the, the one that everybody knows about as far as a cutting agent. Uh, uh, just a little bit of physiology about beta-2. So beta-2 uh, is a receptor, but it is called an adrenergic receptor. Your body has four types. You have alpha-1, alpha-2, bravo-1, bravo-2, bravo-3, five receptor types. Basically, these are um, the receptors are res- that are responsive to epinephrine and norepinephrine. Kind of our flight or flight, our sympathetic, uh, our sympathetic receptors. So basically, in response to epinephrine, uh, to beta two, uh, this expressed in certain tissues, uh, such as like the, our smooth muscle in our gut, uh, our blood vessels, uh, heart muscle, uh, skeletal muscle, um, and inside our lungs. Basically, uh, once it gets stimulated, it causes vasodilation, so it increases the blood supply uh, to whatever the um, the vessel is. It'll increase your uh, muscle um, your muscle strength and contraction, and then it also increases heart strength and contractions um, because it causes uh, basically it causes a fight or flight response. So basically, when you use a beta two agonist, you're kind of increasing the sympathetic or fight or flight response inside your body by using this drug. So as a result, uh, this is why it's kind of been used for weight loss and cutting and for some strength gains because it causes, it's basically like taking epinephrine or adrenaline uh, and then using that as a drug to increase um, your uh, metabolism. And then as a stimulant agent, it increases your metabolism, and then it also increases some of your uh, muscle contraction and your ability to uh, some strength gains as well. 
so as a result, it's used pretty commonly for weight loss um, as a cutting agent. Live bodybuilders use Clen, uh, Clen for cutting uh, and to help with stimulation in terms of increasing energy. Uh, the scientific literature doesn't really support the claims of this, um, but it's all kind of anecdotal in that people can still use Clen pretty commonly to cut for competitions. Uh, as a weight loss agent, but it also can increase uh, sports performance by making your ability to um, not only increasing the oxygen intake by causing bronchodilation inside your lungs, so you can get in more oxygen to deliver to your tissues. It also can cause some uh, strength gains because it makes your muscles uh, fire faster and uh, pretty much operate quicker. The adverse effects associated with clenbuterol come from the fact that you are stimulating this fight or flight response. Um, so you get uh, tachycardia or increased heart rate because of the vasodilation that associated with uh, clenbuterol. Um, you also get cardiac stimulation. Uh, so clenbuterol can be associated with uh, arrhythmias and um, fatal arrhythmias inside the heart gives you tremor, sweating, gives you anxiety, insomnia, agitation. Pretty much, if you imagine uh, just being on speed all the time, that's what clenbuterol kind of does to you. You're, you're on speed, essentially. Um, so it increases your ability to lose weight because it increases metabolism, but you also are super jittery and nervous and kind of on edge. Clenbuterol is kind of interesting. Um, people uh, often sometimes test positive for clenbuterol in like fighting sports. Uh, I want to say like John Bon Jones tested positive for Clen, um, and GGG, uh, the not GGG, is it GGG the bo- the one boxer, um, t- the Mexican boxer tested positive for Clen. Um, Clenbuterol is actually used as an uh, in um, in livestock, uh, but it's banned in America and the EU, but in Mexico where GGG lives. Um, uh, they use clenbuterol in uh, like cows to increase the muscle mass. I want to say, and as a vaso, uh, as a bronchodilator for like asthma. Uh, basically, clen will incre- like increases the lean body mass of uh, livestock to increase the um, the yield of the cows. So if you eat meat that has been contaminated with clenbuterol, you can test positive for it. So that's a pretty common excuse that people use when they test positive for clen. Uh, they ate tainted meat. If you uh, pretty, uh, actually another side tang- side tangent, uh, what's her face? Ellie Kabord from Cross and Mayhem tested positive for Clen, but she said that she got it uh, from eating meat. But that's I find that very hard to believe. I don't want to get into it. Well, never mind. I'm not, I won't get into it. But either way, people test positive for Clen all the time, uh, but they usually blame meat or tainted meat as uh, the reason why they test positive. But it's kind of like a wishy-washy uh, excuse so after this uh, so that's kind of the, the big run through of the main pharmaceutical agents that we know of that people use for peds um, i'm, I'm going to transition now into sarms and kind of the sarms and peptides and kind of the newer um newer brand i want to say or newer like frontier of performance enhancing drugs uh, let me take a quick break real fast. Uh, back up uh, in a few. I'm gonna get a drink, and then we'll dig into SARMs and uh, kind of what they are. Okay. 